Welcome to the show, Paul George here, talking all things art of living in studio with Adam Conk. Yeah, I'm playing the air guitar this morning. Yes, Adam the Shellfish. Well, we've listened to this song often. Listen to it. Just makes you want to play that air guitar, I think. Did you write that song? No. No, no, no. That's not your rift. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. How are you, Paul? I'm good, man, and I'm even better because of the weather. You ain't kidding about that. Yeah, so fall is here. Uh, so is it fair to say... Um, so we were having this conversation at our house. Okay, so you know the whole movement of the love languages? Yes. Okay, so there's love language of like service, words of affirmation. Spanish. Physical touch. What are they? Um yeah, uh, let's see. Affirmation, presence, just being with... Right? Quality time. Quality time. Um, Affirmation. Touch. Service. And gifts. And gifts. Service, yeah. Okay, so they identified those love languages, those mm-hmm. five love languages. And what they say is like sort of that you have... You, you have them all. Like we all have those love languages. Like mm-hmm. you like gifts or service. We all like them all. But there are particular ones that are in order, like that are your primary love language right you know one or two are your primary love languages of how you give and receive love how you give and receive love Love. i do think italian is probably the best love language that's actually a language that i've ever heard it's it's so romantic isn't it a romantic (laughs) language yeah it is yeah so why not yeah what would you say of those five love languages are your top one or two Goodness me. Um, so we had to go through this when we were getting married. Right. We, you know, processing. And that was 11 years ago. It's probably changed. So the bit. love language book wasn't out when we were married. So we mm. actually probably, you've been married what? Did they have love how language long, how many tablets? Year, how many years have you been married? 11. So I would say it was probably like 10 years into our marriage or 11 years into our marriage that we actually got a hold of the love languages. Yeah. yeah it was about the same time. But quality time was at that point kind of it. Yeah. I guess it would be still now too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say when it first came out, my love language probably the the way it was service. Oh. But I think it's kind of shifted more to quality time and then words of affirmation Ooh. and then service. That's so great of you, Paul. Yeah. I gave you a word of affirmation. Or maybe it's quality time. So anyway, the, the time <laughs> my wife and I spend together is very important. Like I value that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the way I feel of whatever. So anyway, we were having this conversation around our house, not about the 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 primary the love languages from the book, but the what would I what would we like love languages that are um, what would we call them in our house? It was like love languages that are not love languages, like what? Like like one of one of my kids, you know, her love language is food. <laughs> she know God's. She knows God loves her because of good food. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Like one of my, I think one of my kids' love languages is like going to concerts. Really? Mm-hmm. That's nice. She loves concerts. Yeah. So I said my, one of my, so, so one of my daughters asked me, says, well, what's your fun love language or something like that? Like, mm-hmm. uh, and I said the weather. Yeah. Like honestly, like when the weather's good, it speaks a language to me. Yeah. Yeah, if I walk outside and it's 68 degrees with a little breeze, it's I feel like God has given me a hug. Like, I love you, Adam. Here's so have you gift. ever heard of this thing called seasonal depression? 
Yes. Okay, so literally like the weather or the seasons, as they as they prolong, you know, they get longer and longer in a season, it ha- affects your mood. So you find that moods are affected by people, you know, who live in long winters. Like they find that they get depression through these long winters, you mm-hmm. know, because, you know, the sun's not out. Obviously, that affects your mood. You know, you're stuck inside the, the weather, yada, yada. For here, it's just the opposite. The long summers can affect your mood. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's summer from April to October. Right. So anyway, seasonal <laughs> depression is a thing. So I think one of my love languages is good weather. Absolutely. Absolutely. For me, definitely, I would also add daylight savings time in the fall. That day, I just feel like the Lord loves me. Like when the days get longer or shorter? No, no, no. When we when we gain an extra hour oh. of sleep. Oh, gotcha. I feel like God loves me. Now, in the springtime, hmm. it's... I don't know if it makes it worth it, to be honest with you. Yeah. The terrible experience of losing an hour. Yeah. But so speaking of like, like <laughs> non like love languages, things that we can fall in love with, that actually be- can become almost things that we're addicted to, mm-hmm. that we rely on, you know, too much. We fall in love with it to the point where we can't do without it. And I was just at a, a conference recently in Dallas, and met this guy uh, who. Uh, wrote a book with Ave Maria Press, same publisher as me, but uh, I found it very interesting. He was a very, very cool guy, very interesting story. And he wrote the book called The 12 Steps and the Sacraments. So he's a recovering addict. Mm-hmm. He got to a point in his life where the things that he, he he loved became things that he was addicted to. you know. And what I began up asking, we were having dinner together with, with a bunch of people, and you know, he's developed this program, the 12 steps and the sacraments, but around his, you know, his recovery. But what he began to say is that there's so many things that we can become addicted to. Yeah. It's not just drugs or alcohol. You know, there, there's obviously pornography and sex and, you know, foods and addiction. There's so many things that we can become addicted to, even behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, as, as I've seen <clears throat> certain marriages struggle or family dynamics, we sometimes get addicted to certain conditions being met, mm-hmm. and if they're not met, we're it's unacceptable and we can't function. Right. Um, and when they are met, we feel like everything's great. There's this euphoria. Oh, everything's wonderful. But as soon as something changes, we get you know crazy about it, or we it's unacceptable. We get very angry. And this is exactly what happens with drugs or any other addiction. You know, there's a time of euphoria where I feel like everything's great. That is swiftly followed by this downturn where I feel like everything's horrible yep. because that substance or that thing is now gone. Right. And so then it leads me back to that thing where everything was great. And it's this cycle of addiction that really plays itself out in our lives in more ways than we probably realize. So I think here's a uh, you know a very loose definition of addiction is something that you can't do without, that you, mm-hmm. you have to have it. You rely on it so much, right? And I think there's some things that are bad for us anyway. You know, drugs or alcohol or, you know, pornography, things like that that really are sinful. They can drag us down. They, I mean, they certainly affect our behavior. But there are also good things that we can become addicted to. We need food. We can become addicted to yeah. that. Uh, 
uh, people. We can become addicted to people, um, certain patterns of behavior, uh, maybe even so much so like even like spiritual addiction. Yes. And, and I know I'm going to touch on something. Maybe people might not understand what I'm saying or agree with me, but I have seen people who have become addicted to their spirituality, their way of thinking, or almost to the point where they, they, they spend so much time thinking about faith that they can't think about anything else. They over-spiritualize everything. Mm-hmm. They can't think logically about things. So we can we can become addicts of so many things. Yeah, because I mean, if you if you look at the addict the addiction cycle and apply it to our spiritual life, it's very easy to have these things we put in our life, whether it's a certain devotion we have at a certain time of day or um, certain groups we belong to, to where when we're doing those things, everything's wonderful. You know, the roses are in bloom, birds are singing, it's great. And then if we miss it one day, it's a complete disaster, right? And if that's our experience, if that's kind of how we're approaching the spiritual life, we might be using God more than receiving God. And again, people might disagree with it. But the thing is, if I have a relationship with God, our relationship is bigger than if X, Y, Z happens. Now, again, there are some things we must do. Go to Mass on Sundays. You know, if we're a clergy, we have to pray Liturgy of the Hours. And obviously, yes, like if we miss one, it is a sin because it's, it's essential to our relationship. But there's also a lot of other things that are helpful to our relationship or part of our relationship with God that we can't turn into essential. Right. Because when we treat it like that, it it colors our relationship with God and it it puts in us a certain addiction to that thing, right? if you will, that's just not healthy. It's not healthy. I think one of the ways to identify are we addicted to something is can we, can we live without it? Would we be okay? Would we be yeah. okay? Can we fast from it? So I was re- recently having a conversation with a guy who, who's not an alcoholic or recovering alcoholic, but he was saying that, you know, he would have a drink every night and then he found himself not being able to go without having a drink. And so he started um, having an examination of his conscience in a sense of, can I not? And he was like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so what he ended up doing is fasting from it. So the idea of fasting from that particular thing allowed him to spiritually weed it out to for him to rely on Jesus and on faith and on the sacraments instead of that thing, right? Mm-hmm. So there's not necessarily something wrong with having a drink, but the fact that he couldn't go without having a drink moved him to evaluate himself and then to fast from it. I think that's the beauty of fasting. Yeah. You know, as we're kind of approaching the season of Advent, this mini Lent, what, what are things in Advent that we can fast from that can help us to move forward spiritually so that uh, we can we can kind of weed those things out. Because here's the thing is you can have an addict behavior without doing the addict thing. Yes. Okay? So you can not drink, do drugs, or, you know, look at pornography, but you could still have behavior of an addict that comes out in other ways. And you're like, oh, well, at least I'm not doing those things. Yeah, but be, your, your behavior is bad. Yeah. Like you're mean, you're rude. Uh, you're you're this. You're yep. you're obsessive compulsive, so you have this addict behavior, and yet you you blame it all on other things, even on other even people. great things to do. So I mean, think about the stories you hear about someone who does something incredible for society. Let's say opens up an orphanage, um, and there, there's movies about these kinds of stories that are that are true. They do something amazing, but at the same time, their life falls apart. 
they get divorced again, again. They, uh, you know, and it's like, okay, well, did God want them to do this great work instead of a happy marriage and, right. and whatever? Or was it that in doing such and such work, they had this euphoria, this sense of everything's okay, and it was an escape from their normal life, right? Yes. And so it's something we need to think about. Like, good work should not be an escape from our life. Right. Right? Yep. The sacrament should not be escaped from my life. I'll use an example. Some people go to confession every single day. Now, if the Lord's calling to do that, great. Go get in line. Go. But sometimes, and again, is this situation to where if I don't get in that confessional line every day, I feel terrible and like the world is falling apart, then maybe I'm actually using the sacrament in a way it's not intended. Yep. And it's not good for my relationship with God. It could be an abuse of it. Right. Abuse of the sacrament of the time, taking it from other people. Like sometimes maybe more the sacrifice is actually letting someone else go to confession. Yeah. You know, like, like talk about, talk about denying self. You, so, so you really have to have a good prayer and examine. So what I like about this book and I want to have this guy, Scott Weeman on the 12 steps and the sacraments, Mm -hmm. because what he talks about is I, yeah, you got to go through the 12 steps of recovery because they're really important. Like their action plans, their 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 things that you need to do to weed out this behavior. Recovery is about changing behavior. Yeah. Right. Alcohol, pornography, sex, drugs are just a result of a behavior that we can't. We, we there's some things that are unsettled. There's some root causes to your yeah. behavior, and and so the result is an addiction. So I, what I love about the book is it's the 12 steps and the sacrament. So mm-hmm. it's going through the steps and at the same time asking the grace of Jesus and the sacraments to help you along. So it's not just the sacraments and it's not just the 12 steps. It's both and. It's like the idea that we believe, not the idea, but the reality that we believe in the idea that it it's nature, grace works with nature. Mm-hmm. Like as we admit to our addiction, admit to our behavior, admit to our brokenness, that allows God's grace to move us. Yeah, there's this there's this story. I don't know if it's true or not, because you know how stories are, but there's a story that St. Augustine, um, of course he was Bishop of Hippo and, and all this, and he was very revered and holy and brilliant. The story goes that he he enjoyed very much the beautiful music supplied in his cathedral, right? But St. Augustine was famous for... Mi- discussing the difference between God, the creator, and everything else that's creature, and that our love should be for God, the creator, and not undue attachment to the creatures, right? And so when he realized that he was becoming attached to this beautiful music, he started to prefer going to churches where the music was not so great. And he preferred being in that environment because it was better for him than than the beautiful music. Now, I'm not saying worship of God in giving him our best is bad. What I am saying is he had a habit of asking himself, am I attached to the creator or to the creature hmm. in all things, even in the liturgy, right? Even elements of the liturgy, am I attached to this, which is good, but it's a creature or am I attached to God, the creator? And so he took steps in his life to put himself in situations to fast from beautiful music, for example. Um, and it's interesting, the 12 steps, I don't know if you've looked at the 12 steps before, but they're, they're really 
generic in the sense of every one of us should go through these steps in our life anyway. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's so steps came so about from a Catholic priest yeah. uh, through recovery. And, and we'll talk about this more in the show. I don't want, I'm going to have Scott on. But here's the reality. If, if you want to change a behavior, you want to change a pattern of behavior, sometimes it's so bad that we need extra help. You yes. know, not only God's help, but we need counseling. We need 12 steps. We need a sponsor. We need accountability. We need software on our phone or our computer. We need extra help. But if you want to change a behavior, then do something you don't like to do. Mm-hmm. Right? So if, if you're you know, constantly maybe checking out at home, uh, you overwork, you know, like go home early, watch the kids, wash the dishes, like do something you don't want to do. And it begins to change your attitude and your behavior. Move out of yourself. That's the thing is that addiction is 100% selfish. Mm -hmm. It's choosing yourself over something better. Right. Yep. So if I'm if if someone's looking at pornography, basically they're saying I love pornography more than I love my wife and my kids. Yeah. I in this moment I love it more than I love God. Yeah. Right. So so it's 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 so turning inward in self. If I'm over drinking, if I'm drinking, my behavior, if my attitude, if I'm acting like a jerk, like I'm choosing myself, I'm choosing this selfish desire over other things. The only way to move out of self is to move into, you know, this attitude of, God, how do you want me to change this? Really praying and then asking for the grace and then to make actual steps to do something different, mm. right? Yes. Like fasting from it, like serving, doing something you don't want to do. I remember hearing that, you know, many times when even Mother Teresa were in times of desolation, what she would say is not only would I pray, but I would just go serve. Like I would go love people who are unlovable. I'd go pick up a dying person. Like that moves me out of myself into another attitude, another realm, another dimension. Yeah, because I mean, ultimately, what is healthy for us is to give everything we have back to our creator. That is a healthy human being, right? Yes. Sin in us, this original sin condition we have, there's this tendency... <clears throat> to give ourselves to something else other than God. But every time we do, it's like you said, it's really a, a turning in and an enslavement where we think I'm free when I'm looking at pornography. I'm free when I'm drinking alcohol and don't have to worry about my problems. I'm free when I'm able to just sit in my room and do whatever I want, you know, playing video games or watching TV or I just have m my me time. I feel so free. In fact, I'm being enslaved and the freedom comes from breaking out of that. And like you said, Mother Teresa would go look for Jesus in the poor and serving when she felt this temptation to just sulk and look inward and poor me, she would go find Jesus, right? Yeah. And yeah. give everything she could to him. And uh, again, saints have the habit of doing this and we can develop this habit. It's not, it's not like we're horrible people and we're all addicted and we're all screwed, right? Like it's, we have the ability to develop a habit, just like St. Augustine, Mother Teresa, um, those in 12-step programs, of constantly asking, am I connected to the creator or the creature? And in this moment, do I need to find Jesus and get reconnected to him? Yeah, even if it's a small habit that you're like, you know what, I need to get rid of this, this habit, this attitude. How do I do this? How do I examine the change? What, what virtue do I need to build in 
to change that habit, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I remember oftentimes like praying that something would go away or a behavior would change or an attitude or an addiction, just praying, 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 and nothing changed. Mm-hmm. Well, I actually had to put some steps in there. I had to do some things. I had to make some steps. You know, this is what I like about the 12 step, but if it's not so much a deep addiction, just a behavior, like we still have to do some things there to move it forward. So anyway, the book is the 12 steps and the sacraments by a friend named Scott Weeman. Check it out. Uh, you can find it uh, and I'll have him on eventually. He's a really good dude. Sounds I think good. He can help us dive deeper into this. So anyway, Paul and Adam talking art of living. We'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Paul George here talking art of living. I'm my good friend and regular guest on Chris Faddis from Solidarity HealthShare out in Phoenix, Arizona. What's up, man? Hey, you know, just uh, living the dream, waking up after another loss from the Arizona Cardinals, so we're doing great. I know, man. Your Cardinals, I just don't think this is the year that you guys are going to turn it around. I think you're just bad, and I think you just have to accept it. Yes, yes. You know, they they always talk about a rebuilding year. I think this was like the burn the house down year. Like, they just... They just like Bruce Arians is gone. We're just going to break it, yeah. and, and then we'll try to come back. Like yeah. they're not even rebuilding; they're just burning it down. They're just you know they're chopping wood. And, well, uh, here, here's the one oh, advantage well. uh, one advantage of a bad season f- for a team is that it actually gives people who can't afford to go to games the ability to go to games. That's true. That's true. Honestly, because people give cardinal. away their tickets or, or they sell yeah. sell them for cheap because they can't fill the seats. Honestly, the only time I could ever go to a game, college or pro, is like when when your team that you love is doing horrible. So it's like then you get to right, go to these right. horrible or, games, or they're playing like, or they're playing like Boise Technical College. Yes, uh, exactly. You know, for the first game of the season, that's like you know if they're playing a high school team, that's when you get the tickets. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, talking yeah. to Chris Faddis. I want to know, Paul. I, theologically, I just want to know: Does yep. dealing with having your favorite team do so poorly does that count as temporal suffering? Like, can that, you know, can I offer that up, or is that too vain? Well, I mean, we don't have to talk about that today. But I'm just just curious. No, in my professional opinion, I think if it really causes you to suffer, then yes, you could offer it up for something. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I don't. Good. I'm not saying that you can offer it up for something meaningful, but you can offer it up for something. For something. For yeah. something. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, talking to Chris Faddis with Solidarity HealthShare, Phoenix, Arizona. You're actually in Phoenix. You guys just had a new baby, bro. We've been waiting for this for a while, huh? Yeah, Francesca Claire was born on October 4th. So yeah, we're we're doing great. Uh, it's been just kind of. Uh, in that little baby moon phase, getting everyone used to the baby. And, uh, I've been home a lot more trying to, you know, be helpful as much as I can. So, um, yeah, it's been good. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing how much like a little baby can just bring so much joy and so much 
peace and, you know, meaning into a house, you know? So. Yeah, absolutely. So we were talking, Adam and I, in the first segment, we were talking about addiction. We were talking about, um, you know, relying on things that uh, really kind of change our behavior, whether they be full-on addictions or just um, behaviors that we want to change. And you and I were talking, you know, with your work with Solidarity HealthShare, you guys really building a community, HealthShare and community. How do you guys deal with or what do you do when, you know, someone in the community is dealing with some type of addiction that they need help with? Um, whereas, you know, and maybe traditional insurances deal with it in one way. How do you guys deal with it as a community? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because we're this the timing's perfect because we just released uh our new guidelines in last month and we actually increased our guidelines to share in mental health, uh which traditionally healthcare sharing, so people who know, you know, we're a healthcare sharing ministry and there's there's several others who have been around for longer than us. Traditionally healthcare sharing has not shared in mental health. They consider it a lifestyle thing and that's on your own and, and so there really hasn't been any sharing in mental health, whether it's addiction or counseling or or whatever it is. And so we actually, um, through a lot of discernment and prayer, I mean, we felt, we felt a little bit like that wasn't okay. Like, why aren't we sharing in this? These, these are real issues that people are dealing with. And so Solidarity Health Share just released our guidelines, and we are now sharing in mental health counseling. Um, so we're the first health share to do so. Uh, and we're expanding that over time. And so, you know, things like addictions, you know, it's really hard because addiction therapy in this country is not, really all it's cracked up to be. A lot of what you see happen, especially with the opioid epidemic and, and all of that, is what you see happen is a lot of these inpatient addiction centers, basically what they do is they're cash cows. I mean, they, they, mm. call the, they talk to the person, they find out what their insurance is, they say, okay, your insurance has a, you know, an $8,000, you know, you have to pay $8,000 out of pocket for this, so give me $8,000, and then we'll bill your insurance for the rest. And so you put down a credit card, you go to the therapy, they have somewhere between four and six weeks that they're allowed to treat you, by the insurance, they collect their 30 or 40 grand, whatever it is, and then they send you on your way and hope that you do better or cash in on you three months later when you relapse and you have to go back into the center and they do the whole thing over again. So some of these addiction centers are actually benefiting from someone not actually getting well. Absolutely. Because if you see that person three times, you just made 120 grand on one patient, right? So, so there's a lot of problems with that. So, so we can't, for solidarity, especially because we're trying to protect our members' dollars, we haven't fully opened the door to like inpatient treatment and all of that, but we're in the process of studying what's working and what works. Ultimately, I know you and I talk about community all the time. Yep. What we're finding and what we're hearing from the experts, not from us, because I'm certainly not an expert, is that it's the community. It's the programs where you're in a group, where you're, where you're, you're uh, you know, for, for young people, it's social-based, and for Adults, it's just community-based. It's friendship-based, right? So even the, the AA programs, the, um, the there's some other pathways and some other programs out there around the country that are doing amazing things without inpatient therapy because it's literally surrounding that person with a community that's going to support them, encourage them, and help them get through it and help their family and all of that. And so that's what we're seeing. And so we're kind of in this process of how do we help someone? Sometimes you do need inpatient treatment. But where do they go that they're going to be properly supported? And then I want an inpatient center for our members that's going to actually follow them for a while, maybe a year or two or three years, and help them through that process. And um, so that was a long answer to say, A, we are now sharing a mental health, so we will support some of that. 
Um, but we're also not going to abandon these people. We've had people who have come to us who are members who are, you know, struggling with alcohol addiction or whatever, and we will support them even if it's not a shareable thing. We'll find ways to support them and get them resources. And that's great because that's what a community is about and that each, you know, family, each case with solidarity, you guys look at as an individual, which which is awesome. We're, you know, it's not just a product or just – you know, there, there's names and faces that you guys know and love. And that was, was cool when I was out there and I did something for the staff at Solidarity is that there was a real sense from the staff that they knew the members. And that was just really kind of cool for me. You know, as we're talking about addiction, like it's all about behavioral change, right? It's like changing this behavior that I have, whether it's a deep addiction or just some type of behavior thing that I need to change, attitude, whatever. And it's interesting that you guys mentioned like the research that you're finding is that it's all about community. Well, that you know, like in the traditional twelve step program, like that's what it is. It's a community that you journey with, and in that community, you have a one on one sponsor, basically someone walking with you, right? And right. And this is true, like in life, like we're not called to build be alone, and if if we're suffering, if we're dealing with behavior addiction, like it it really is the community and accountability that we have, and the more and more we put that into our life in a serious way, not in like a a loose way, a serious way of community and someone to journey with us, we can experience change in our life, we can grow from it, because really, honestly, at the root of our addiction, it's, it's not, we want behavior change, but the root of our addiction is some type of suffering, you know, some type of brokenness, some type of of thing that that just needs to be loved and uncovered and when we really experience that healing in that area then our behavior is going to change but we know that we're not walking along alone somebody's walking with us on the journey amen to that i mean that that's got to be part and parcel i mean that's got to be the the number one thing that you're gonna that you have to focus on because so many of these these cases you start to hear about and you know i've i've been naive to some of this until the last couple years but i mean we had a uh you know a family in in our community in solidarity who their their uh teenage son had an overdose you know so are we going to abandon them in that time no i mean we're going to support and help them with whatever care they needed i mean he was in the hospital he had to have some treatment he had you know all these things and and ultimately, here's this faithful family who's doing the, their best, and their kid fell, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so many of us, I realize that, so many of us are dealing with, whether it's addiction or depression or whatever, but those all go together, right? So if you don't deal with those things, a lot of times, you know, it's, it's, a, it's how, how someone's handling depression is through an addiction, you know, or whatever. So, so we've got to focus on that. And yeah, getting it back to the community, making sure that, um, you know, it's not this kind of over-medicalized, over-medicated over uh, type of approach because those don't seem to work. Um, you know, there, there's just a lot that has to happen. And, you know, there's some cool programs out there that we've heard of. I, I've heard of a, a place, and I, I've actually met a couple people who have been there. I think it's called Chinocoli. That's yep. the name. It's yep. a, a, a treatment center down in Florida that, that mm-hmm. I think it's run by uh, by priests, right, or, or something. And, mm-hmm. I've been you know, down they, there, It's like a actually. work camp. You've been there. Yep. Cool. So you know. So, I mean, I love that kind of model, I mean, but you have to go there. I think you have to be there for a long commitment. I mean, it's like a year or two or something. Yeah, and these um, are like hard, hardcore addicts. Like, oh, yeah, like where, like, they're, they're, they live in community for a long time. Like, it's, it's a deep dive from, like, yeah. long-term behavior and addiction. And it's beautiful because they really do live community together. Um, and, and it's, it's quite amazing. Uh, it's down in St. St. Augustine, Florida. Uh, 
And I that's did, right. I yeah. did a conference down there, and they had some of the the people from the community serve and do some skits, and and it was like, whoa! Like these people have a whole different level of like dependency on each other, which is really kind of cool. But you know, the reality is, is you know, our you know, for those folks who, that are married, you find that a lot of your behavior changes when you get married, you know, within the community of your marriage. And if it doesn't, it's going to hit the fan, right? And right, so within right. that community, and then we extend that community out into like other ways that we need accountability and whatnot. And I often find that people who are struggling with addiction are people who are isolated. They're isolated either in their marriage, there's no intimacy there, or they're isolated as a single person or as a clergy member where they just don't have the community or that deep accountability that's, that's helping that behavior come to light and receive healing and change its behavior. Wow. So, so yeah, man, I, I'm super glad that you guys, uh, do something like that. Look, I was reading this article and I did want to ask you, I had you on, uh, the show was, um, just where we're going with, um, you know, like we were talking about the sisters. I can't remember their name. Um, uh, Chris. Yeah. You still there? Yeah. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry. I lost you for a second. Sorry. This- sorry. I lost you for a second. I apologize. You said something about sisters. Yeah, the uh, the little sisters of the poor that are losing. Oh, little sisters of the poor. Yeah, yeah. So they're back in court, man. Yeah. So, so I why I had uh, you on? On I, I wanted to ask you, like, how is this that a beautiful religious organization is losing or being, you know, losing their rights or fighting for their rights as a as a religious organization? Basically, I mean, so this is what's going on is, you know, they they were in in a lawsuit with the government under the Obamacare piece, you know, because they were being forced to to, uh, pay for contraceptives in their health plan and abortive patients, sterilizations, all of that. And so, you know, they had had applied for waivers. They had tried all that. didn't happen. They ended up winning at the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court basically said, go back to HHS. HHS needs to come up with a solution. And they essentially came up with a solution to to let them out of it, you know, and and make it, give them the exemption. Well, then what happened is now the state of California has decided that they're going to sue, and they're going to take them to court to try to force them to pay for contraceptives in their health plan. And so now they're back in court with the state of California trying to enforce the HHS mandate once again. Um, and it, it just goes, to, to me, Paul, it's just them playing their hand. This was always the end goal of how they did this with the Affordable Care Act and other movements on health care, was trying to get the church to change her position. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to, to go against the church, trying to get us to pay for contraceptives and, and abortive patients and all of that. Um, you know, the state of California, every health plan has to pay for abortions. So even our diocese in the state of California are paying, are you know, complicit with that, and so every every employer sponsored health plan, everything has to have that. So they're they're trying to use that to go after the sisters, and and again, it just goes to show. I mean, I think you've heard me say this. I'm sure Brad Hahn has said this when he's been on. Is we're at the point in our in our history where we as Catholics need to just take our business elsewhere and do things our own way, and that's why we're doing healthcare sharing because. We have to we have to get to where we're not have don't have to comply with insurance mandates and we can you know we can live our faith properly. Gosh, that's interesting. So, what can we do? Uh, in particular, like for the little sisters of the poor, 
with organizations like that? Is, is there a way that we can help or fight it or, or do we just let the due process take its place? Yeah. I mean, I think we've got to raise our voice. I mean, I definitely think we've got to put pressure on the state of California. Um, you know, it was, it was some of the pressure because even after Trump became president, the sisters were still in a lawsuit and some of that pressure is what got the Trump administration to act and, and basically, you know, uh, create the exemption for them. So, you know, we've got to raise our voice. We've got to talk about this. Nobody seems to know that this is going on. Um, so we've definitely got to write letters and all of that. And then I think too, as far as supporting, you know, I'm pretty sure they're, they're, uh, the sisters are represented by the Beckett fund, which is a nonprofit, uh, conservative, you know, legal team that helps kind of like Alliance Defending Freedom, mm-hmm. um, who, you know, helps in these constitutional cases. So certainly people can make gifts to help with that, um, you know, to help fund that case because these things are not cheap. Um, you know, they're, they're probably, I'm sure it's millions of dollars by now that this had to been spend on, spent on this. So, um, you know, those, those kind of things would be helpful, but definitely raise your voice and, and, and let people know. And then in your own state, you know, where you are in Louisiana, I think we've got to be really clear to our politicians in our own states that we're not going to, we're not going to be okay with this, you know, that <laughs> this stuff better not happen here. And, and we've got to fight for that. I'll tell you, Paul, what's interesting is we have, you know, California is like our third largest state for solidarity health share. Hmm. Um, and as far as members, and I think this is why <laughs> yep. I think there's no other option, you know, and we're not doing a lot of extra stuff in California. It's not like we're focused on California. It just happens to be. So, you know, those are the kind of things that I think people have to recognize that it's time to, to do something, to say something, but also to go ahead and protect your family. Yeah, absolutely. So Chris Fattis, Solidarity Health Share, check it out. Chris, I know you're busy, man. Thanks for taking the time. This has been great. Thank you, Paul. God bless. All right, bro. Have a good one. Talk to you soon. You too. Bye. Talk to you soon. Bye. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the health care problem. Are you paying too much for your health care cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a health care sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund health care costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Paul George here with Adam Conk. Welcome welcome back. You know, it was interesting. I was talking to Chris um, that they're doing research on like addiction, you know, mm-hmm. which was great because it ties into the show and the topic we're talking about. And in their research, they found that uh, the best cure for behavior change, addiction change, is community. Right? Shocker! Like you weren't sitting there being like, "Wow, that, I'm like that's revolutionary," <laughs> right? I'm sure you're thinking like that just affirms what I think I already knew. Yeah. I mean, community is kind of how you get into it to begin with. Nobody buys drugs for themselves. Right. Right. Isn't that interesting? So community would be the way out mm-hmm. too. Yeah. And, and it's, it's desperate. You know, but you I think people do a lot of times addiction by themselves, you know. Well, it isolates you. It for isolates sure. you. Right. Because you start feeling alone. You start feeling, you know, certainly depressed. You start feeling, you know, deep desolation. Um you start thinking no one can relate, no one knows me, you know, and then and then it's just a deep dive into like basically uh, rejection of 
relationships and community healthy or what you do is you surround yourself with people who have the same addiction as you and they affirm your behavior right 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 well i mean that's the that's the irony of the kingdom of darkness like there's a lot of people in hell but everybody's alone right it's when we're in the company of destruction and destructive behavior you have this sense of knowing people this sense of being surrounded by people but everyone's alone Right. And isolated, yeah. and everybody's out for their own ends. Um, so it's it's really sad, you know. You mentioned, and I, I think this is amazing that as a health sharing company, they're talking about you know policies that would not exclude addiction and mental health issues because you know like insurance companies don't think that way. Um, but there, there's a, a growing epidemic, especially among young people, of addiction, but also overdosing, and not fatally every time, but also fatally. Right. And um, this is a problem. And, and in the church, it, it's affecting us. It's not, you know, I, I talk to people all the time, you know, maybe a 50-year-old man whose teenage son just ended his life unintentionally through overdosing on painkillers and stuff like this. This is happening a lot. And there's a lot of pain. And when this happens, you always question, what do we, what do, we do wrong? Right. You know? But one of the answers, especially in those young years, they need community. They need the right community. Right. And that's the thing, like as a parent is constantly praying about that God would help your your children find good, healthy friendship, you know, because Mm -hmm. you are who you hang out with, you know, and you're right. Like we don't do addiction alone. Like we don't do bad behavior alone. And anytime I've ever thought back in my life and I've done something wrong, I've never been by myself. Mm -hmm. You know, it's always like with a partner in crime, you know, per Mm -hmm. se. And we usually get into bad behavior with other people. But the flip side of that is we can get out of bad behavior with other people. That's the only way out, right? It's through, you know, a healthy marriage, a a good relationship with your spouse, through good friendship, through surrounding yourself with people who are behaving the way that you want to behave, right? And then Mm -hmm. living life with them. And oftentimes I find that people who stay in bad behavior, stay in addiction, stay in their same patterns are people who reject those types of relationships. Well, and I think there's a fundamental question that we don't ask ourselves often, but we need to, is that who in my life sees things as they really are? Like who's got the best handle on reality and how life really is? And if we're in a destructive behavior pattern, whether it's addiction or something else, our answer is going to be somebody who's supplying or helping our addiction right or our destructive behavior yeah we might not articulate it to ourselves that way but that's the truth like i think this person has the best handle on life and so i'm going to follow them and be like them yeah and so if that's the case then that's a wake-up call to us you know and i think we could all ask ourselves that question who in my life seems to have the best handle on how to live life well right and in the thing is we might I've had some experience in this area, you know, closely, family, whatever. And the thing is, if we know it's someone who's godly and whatever, we might be unattracted to them because we feel, I don't know why, to be honest with you. Like, I'm attracted to godly people. I want to be around them. But it's definitely a thing where if I'm in a destructive behavior pattern, I'm not attracted to these people, even though I recognize they're doing something right. Right. I don't want to be around them. Yeah, because we isolate ourselves in our behavior. And... Then we surround ourselves with people who are codependent, who, ah, yeah. who mm-hmm. allow us to act the way we act, and that doesn't help us. 
you know, flesh that out for me a bit, like codependency? Like when you say that, what do you mean? So codependency is being in a relationship with you and just allowing you to behave wrongly. Mm. And almost to the point where I, I take a little bit of fault for your behavior, right? I allow it and I blame myself. Oh, well, Adam's just acting this way because I make him act that way. And then he makes me feel like I make him act that way. Or I need to, I need to do something to change their behavior. Or I need to do something to change that behavior. Or I'm mm-hmm. the, you know, and so I found in my own marriage is like, you know, you can't be codependent in marriage. No. Or in any healthy relationship. So the times where my behavior's changed or my wife's behavior has changed is to say, hey, I love you, but you can't act that way. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like, you pop out. You're like, wait, what? What did you just say? I love you, but you can't act that way. And then you think, oh, well, what was I doing? How was I? Oh, that needs to change. Okay, well, how did that change? That helped me. You know, so you can go from codependency into really, you know, uh, a good, relation, healthy relationship that helps that other person, but you're not responsible for that. That person has to take responsibility for their behavior. Mm-hmm. So getting rid of codependency is putting the behavior back on the person and saying, I'll love you, but you have to own it. Yeah. And you have to deal with it. You have to, and I'll walk with you, but I'm not responsible. That's the opposite of codependency. Well, I think you're touching on one of the main reasons we need community to get out of the funk is that it takes a lot of courage to begin to live that way, especially if I'm a codependent person. Mm -hmm. To get out of that and to learn to set boundaries, to learn to make statements like you just made, takes a tremendous amount of courage. And the thing is, Courage is not something that just comes out of nowhere. Right. We are encouraged by others. Yep. We're given courage. Yep. When people speak courage to us, share their courage with us, that is the most sure, natural human way to gain courage. Yep. It's not like we're all supposed to have this unlimited supply of courage somewhere and deep down inside. The Lord gives us the church and other human beings to give us the courage we need to say what we need to say, do what we need to do to make those changes. Yep. Yep. And, you know, the way that we're codependent on our behavior is is blame. We blame other people for our behavior. Yeah. And the reality is it's not other people's fault. We have to take responsibility and make the change. But we need other people to walk with us. We can even become codependent on the church, constantly blaming the church. Yes. You know, if the church is A lot that, of that doing and, right now. And, of course, mm-hmm. and, and yes, there are some things and behaviors that need to change, things that church, absolutely. But, but what can I do? What's my responsibility? Mm-hmm. Right, so we move from blame to action, um, and that's that's yeah. important. Well, you bring up something really important in that to have a healthy relationship, we have to actually love the person in front of us, not the idea of the person, the person that might be one day, but the person right in front of us, and love them. And I don't mean accept everything they do, but love them. And in the church right now, there's a big tendency to prefer an idea of a church versus the church right in front of me. Right. And, you know, sometimes love is demanding better mm-hmm. and not being codependent, you know, right. in setting our marriage, those boundaries. setting those boundaries, you know, I, I love you, but you're better than this. You can do better. I believe in you. And that, that but I'm not a, abandoning you. I'm not, I'm not walking away. You. But for a married couple who's struggling, it may be like, you might have to move out until you change your behavior. Like it may get that bad. Like I, you would hate that that to happen, but there's some, you know, like the codependency would just be say, stay here and keep acting the way you're acting. Right. And we can, we can be healthy in our friendships and all those ways. I think we have tendency to be codependent because we don't want to hurt people's feelings. 
but we all want to be better. We all want to live better. And we all need people in our life who'd be like, you know what? You could do better than that. Like you, you can act better than that. Like you, you can change that and I can walk with you and I can love you. Well, and that's the difference between encouraging and discouraging. Yep. Because a community can suck the courage out of you too. Absolutely. It can either give you the courage with statements like what you just said. You can do this. I'll do it with you, but you have to do it. Or we could suck it right out of them and, and say, what's wrong with you? Yeah. You're worthless. Like you need to like wake up. Yeah. Like, those statements are not encouraging. Yeah. And here's the beauty of community is that God's not asking us to do anything that he isn't. Mm-hmm. God is community. Father, Son, and Spirit live in union with each other, loving each other perfectly, right? It is a community. It's it's a, the original family, you know, the Trinity. And so we're we're called to be in community with with God, Father and the Spirit. Like we, we're called to be in relationship in that community. And from there, it comes natural for us to live in community with other people. What did the enemy do? First and foremost, he divided. He divided community, man and woman. He divided Adam and Eve. He divides community, he divides people, he divides relationships. He divides the church. He divides. that. that you want to know what the enemy's after? Division. He divides marriages. He divides father and son, mother and daughter. Division is what he does. The way that we defeat the enemy, the way we defeat it is that we go hard into community, into relationships, and say, let's walk together. I'm not in this alone. God's with us, His grace, but I need you. I need people. Yeah, and and again, the the initial step is not, hey, all of you who are supposed to be my community, wake up and be my community. Right. It's I am already belonging to a community. I already have relationships. I, I belong to church parish. I belong to family. How can I take on my respons- responsibilities better? And then if I need help from certain people, I'll ask them for help but help in me doing it, right? Like me doing the work of community. I don't need to tell people where they're failing and say, you're not my good community. You're not my good spouse. You're not my good priest. You're not my good... Like that... It's not other people's responsibility for your your misery and your behavior. It's your responsibility. And, And that's it. And... And so that that's the reality is that as we lean into into Jesus through prayer and the sacraments, that grace moves us, but we also need to be moved to action and surrounding ourselves with the right people, doing the right things, making the right decisions so that we can have the right results in our life. So anyway, great discussion. Thanks to Chris Faddis for coming on. You can find the show on podcast, on iTunes, Google Play, get the show. Uh, You can find us at discovertheartofliving.com. You can support us, support the show, the ministry, all the work that we do. You can get the book, Rethink Happiness, all those things. Please, if you don't mind, just spread the word. And thanks for all your support. Thanks, Adam. It's a great show. It's Paul George. Talk to you next week. God bless. 